0: I believe that becoming a better man means being more reliable and more supportive in relationships. Whether that be with friends, family or partners, human connection is important for all of us. So I've designed a test that will help you improve yourself and your relationships. There's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end of this episode. For now, enjoy listening.
1: And I'm going, why is our chief officer coming out in his pyjamas and why is he now running at us? And he was screaming this is not a drill this is not a drill
0: welcome to stories of men beneath the surface i'm alex Melia. join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era when you're young and you've barely got any responsibilities Sometimes you can find yourself in relatively dangerous environments without truly grasping the gravity of a situation. From a young age, Will had always been obsessed with boats, reading about them in magazines, going on trips with his family. Fast forward to being 21, carefree and working on a super yacht of all things, going from Malta to the Maldives. What a life, eh? He's got his whole life ahead of him.
1: It's a boiling afternoon, we're scrubbing the decks. I'm out there with Alex, who's my boatswain, he's basically the boss that, that's in charge of me. We're always having a laugh, always having a good time. And it'd be quite nice to get down for lunch now. Like, it's air conditioned down in the crew mess. The chef has probably cooked us up something nice and delicious. And all of a sudden, the fire alarm goes off, and it's this ringing, piercing sound across the boat. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake not another fire drill you know you've got to get in your kit it's super hot it's a real pain in the ass so yeah i remember hearing that um that's sort a of click of the crew mess door and i go oh shit martin's coming out to tell us off because the click of the crew mess door you know you're in trouble and i see martin come out in his boxer shorts he's wearing his sort of pajama pants spongebob square pants boxers with a sort of dressing gown coming on. And I'm going, why is our chief officer coming out in his pajamas? And why is he now running at us? And he was screaming.
0: This is not a drill, this is not a drill.
1: So we're then rushing down the corridor to go get the fire kit from the muster station. And with that, there was this just sense of panic as we're getting this kit out, right? We're like, this is real, this is happening. Having two days before this, bear in mind, actually watching YouTube videos of super yachts in port going from like spark to like a ball of flame within five minutes. I mean, these things are so flammable. Just think about the paintwork, the wood, the fuel tanks for my sake. This is what is going through my head now at this point. But then all of a sudden I had this realization that actually I'm fire response team number two and this isn't my job to go into the front line so all of a sudden that fear just kind of evaporated and i went right we need to you know sort this out for the other team that are going to come along and, and actually deal with this situation which is fire team one so we're there we're waiting for tom and jamie and at this point, you know, the seconds are kind of going past, right? Everything's in slow motion. You're kind of counting. Coming up to probably 60 seconds in, maybe even two minutes. And the chief officer is going, where the hell are they? He's radioing for them, shouting.
0: "Tom, calm. Jamie, Jamie.
1: And there's nothing. We had no idea where they are. And what happened at that point was the chief officer obviously had to make a split decision. He went, right, we have to send someone in. Fire response team number one, are not here. You guys, number two, you're going in. So we're looking around everywhere, right? And we we cannot see where this fire is emerging from. Um, We're looking left, we're looking right. We actually went up, because we thought the fire might be there, so we smashed through a ceiling compartment and there was nothing there. We just ruined the billionaire's boat, basically. We track back again, and we check out this side compartment. It's a hatch, and we open it up, and the fire is just raging from inside, so the instant reflex just shut it back again. I grab my fire extinguisher, and I just start spraying frantically all around, and eventually, I put out this fire, and I'm looking at Alex, and it's kind of like, holy shit, you know, we actually did this. Anyway, Alex and I, we step outside. We emerge as heroes from this fire in the forepeak of the boat. But we emerge as heroes to a sleeping crew. You will not believe it, but fire response team one were fast asleep during this entire episode. Literally, they would put their pillows over their head. They've gone, we can't be bothered to do another fire drill. We'll leave it to these guys. And there we were actually fighting a real fire whilst they were all asleep.
0: What an unbelievable story, Will. To think that you're just going to be working on a super yacht and everything's going to be smooth and you have this situation that you just could never have imagined would happen, right?
1: Exactly. I think we could have never, never even imagined it in our wildest dreams. You just... You hear stories and you think, that's not going to happen to me. I'd sign up for Paradise. I'd sign up for this kind of vision of working on a super art with an awesome crew. I'd probably imagine life more like a guest than an actual worker. But even then, this, you know, this surpassed everything that I could have possibly imagined.
0: It's almost like our egos are talking, I'm I'm feeling like, in this situation and in many other situations is we want the best things to happen to us but we don't expect that the worst things will happen to us as well at the same time.
1: The thing is that even with the the fire breaking out, right, and even thinking that actually I was going to die in that moment, I actually thought we are going to burn into a ball of flame and, and like, sink into the abyss. I'm not even kidding. Even with that experience and the work hard, play hard element of, like, working on a boat anyway, we honestly had the best time of our lives, you know, It was, um, we had so much more fun than the billionaires who actually even own the yacht. And I think it was just that going through those challenging times just made the reward even sweeter. Do you really think you went through this sort
0: of momentary existential crisis? Because I've heard about people being in those kinds of situations in the past, almost death's door, if you want to call it that, where they think, actually, I'm not going to be able to survive this. And you start to think about, all the things that matter to you in your life, friends, family? Did you have that kind of experience?
1: I suppose it kind of like it crept up on you, right? So initially you're thinking, oh, this is a drill. Then you're thinking this is real. And then all of a sudden that, that real fear kind of creeps in. The adrenaline just kind of kicks in and takes over. So I think at that point, actually, I didn't even have the capacity or bandwidth to think about those things. I've had it once before in my life, but I thought, we were going to crash in a plane and come down. And that was that at that time I was actually writing like a letter to my family. But in this situation where, you know, I was the pilot, basically I was in the pilot seat. There was no time to write a letter to my family or think about that. It was just act and and take it on.
0: I'm thinking back to when you were a kid and you're reading those magazines about boats and, anytime I've heard about people saying they've got a fascination and a love of boats, it's always men. Why is it that men are synonymous with boats and loving boats? Is it this idea of being the leader, captain of the ship, that sort of mentality?
1: I think, I think you're right, Alex. I don't know what it, what is it about men and boats? Like I I can, I can definitely speak for myself. Um, My, I think it, I think, so for me, it was my granddad. Like he was, Obsessed, like, and still is, and I, unfortunately, can no longer go on a boat anymore because um, he's he's not that mobile. But you know, he still reads these boat magazines, and I think he was the one that like kind of passed that on to me. um So, like, yeah, we'd go like sailing, and um, and there were kind of element, I just loved every element of it. You're out on a little island that's basically it's kind of it's yours, and there's no road so you can take it anywhere. Um, and then there's kind of the element of like, you know, keeping it working, you know, making sure that everything's intact. And um, it's a great, it's basically a great hobby. Like that's that's how I'd put it. Um, but it, it, it's also a hobby of great privilege. And the owners of this, you know, super yacht that I worked on, <clears throat> nothing emphasizes it more than that. You know, it really is a, um, a, a world for the very lucky um i would
0: say well it's interesting you talk about the owners of this super yacht because i was literally just about to ask you it gets to that point where people have so much money they have an obscene amount of money and they think to themselves what can i spend this on because they've run out of things to buy and then they think you know what i'll buy a massive super yacht i mean i heard the story about jeff bezos he bought was it something like a billion dollar super yacht or something like that and they had to reconstruct this bridge in somewhere in Europe was it Switzerland or somewhere like that in order for this boat to be able to pass under it
1: it's absolutely obscene like you know it's become kind of like a, a, a dick-swinging contest hasn't it amongst the big billionaires and i think actually if you took you know a few of the world's super yachts and you took the cost of them the cost of running them all of that you could probably solve world hunger like it's it's that it's that insane. Um, what I can say is that the, the the owners of the art that we worked on right you're, you're so spot- on like they've bought everything in the world. there is nothing more that they can buy like they've they've literally had the best of everything. they've experienced the best of everything. you know so nothing is ever enough. And for us as the crew, you know, we're living on like the polar opposite end of the spectrum, right? We're literally, as our chief officer put it, like feeding off of the breadcrumbs of, of these billionaires. But what I can tell you for free is that we had hands down so much more fun than the owners of the super yacht as a crew. Like, yeah, sure. We we work hard. I'd be up all night scrubbing the decks um, I try and you know cut corners and and do as little as possible, um, but then we'd have a great time together. You know, we'd we'd arrive in Sri Lanka, the Seychelles, the Maldives, which is where we went to after the fire in the the Gulf of Suez, and it was an adventure of of you know next level proportions with next level people.
0: I want to go back to what you said about the dick swinging competition between these billionaires because it makes me think. When you think back to being at, at school, boys are saying, my dad's cooler than your dad and my dad can do this and your dad can do... It starts from that. And then it's... Men go through these stages and certain men have this this competition and this comparison element and they've just taken it to new levels, right? They've got to that point, right, I've got 500 million, you've only got 400 million and then they become billionaires. It's, my boat's bigger than your boat and I've got more... Deck hands, I've got more staff on my on my boat than you have. Where does it all end?
1: Yeah, my my own experience of that is, um, yeah, being re- being surrounded by really successful people. So, um, my dad had sunk all of his savings into starting a company the, the year I was born. So, like, we didn't really have much, but we actually had a Peugeot, with uh, holes. It was like a Flintstones Peugeot with holes in the floor. We'd have to wear wellies when it was raining. Um, So he kind of, you know, put it all on red, like to build the startup. And he actually always said to me, whatever you do, don't start a company. Um, But my mum was working for um, a Norwegian ship owner. And, yeah, he he was a very, very successful person. And um, I think there were people around me that were very successful. And I think that does kind of influence you in terms of what you see as possible and what you think, you know, you might be able to achieve. So I think that's maybe what, what spreads that, the seeing people out there that are maybe like you. And then you think, Oh, I could do that. And I think that's what, that was, that's what probably spreads that, that kind of um, thing. But it's also what spreads a great injustice, right? You know, if, if all you're seeing is um, white men who are, who are immensely successful, that maybe doesn't inspire um, uh, other groups of people to think that this is something that they can achieve. So I think it's um, steeped it's in history. It's, um, it's you know, there's, there's layers and layers and layers of stuff I think we could unpack around that. Um, we'll have to have a whole separate conversation on it. But yeah, I think there, you're right. There is that like competition element to it, and it's not healthy.
0: Because I almost think that there's so many different pillars to whatever is considered a good life to someone, you know, good health, they've got wealth, happiness, love, relationships, all those kinds of things. And I feel like some of these multibillionaires billionaires they've got so good at just one game, at at just one pillar of the good life. And they've not necessarily ignored the others, but they could be incredibly overweight and you've really got too good at the money game, but you've not done particularly well in the health game. And this is something that I think is not necessarily talked about, but you've gone over this sort of, this efficient frontier, you know, say for example, I mean, how much money do you really need to to live a good life? Say uh, an arbitrary number, say you say, 5 million or 10 million. These people have gone so far past that. I mean, there's a, there's an example of Bill Gates. You know you've gone too far in the, in the money game when you're spending $32 million a year on security because you're worried about kidnappings of your kids. You could be shot. You could be assassinated. Whatever happens, you know
1: you've gone too far. I mean, how much are you enjoying life when you've got you know security for your kids, right? spot on I think it's gone too far the interesting thing for me with that is actually it was my, my own journey with it so I think before I went and worked on a super art I thought oh yeah maybe I might actually like to be that someday you know that was kind of an ambition for me to to really be mega successful in the traditional sense but I think actually after that experience I was actually like that's the last thing I want you know I think actually success is, is so different to that. I think it's, it's um, fundamentally, it's about, you know, being present, enjoying life, enjoying the moment, spreading that happiness to others. And I think making a real meaningful difference in the world. And for me, that experience working on a yacht actually was what inspired me to create my startup, my company now that I run Um, where we fund plastic collection projects all around the world. Um, We've got a a whole team of our space in London. And yeah, we're we're coming up to a billion plastic bottles collected in weight this November. So we will have prevented a huge amount of plastic from from entering the ocean. Um, And we would have collected that all around the world. So in Indonesia, the Philippines, India, Ghana, Kenya, um, where we're actually setting up collection points um, and enabling people to earn an income from plastic waste. So there's a, this like big environmental impact, to it, but also big social impact too. Um, and this, genuinely, I can say for sure, would not have happened without my experience uh, working on a boat. Um, I think, yeah, throwing yourself into, <clears throat> the, you know, if you have a real urge to go and do something, go And do it, go and take that adventure because you never know where it's going to take you. Um, lean in,
0: yeah, absolutely lean in. And what you were saying
1: before about the
0: the billionaires, I know that you, I know the ocean bottle kind of the conception of that idea came about from a present of Evian.
1: that's right. Yeah, so we were so after the fire had broken out in, in the Gulf of Sears, we you know survived that episode. We then had a couple of weeks actually just open ocean, you know, as far as you can see, sailing out to the Maldives. Um, and that for me actually was quite like an epic experience of understanding the scale of the ocean. Like the ocean covers 70% of the planet, 99% of the livable bio, like biosphere, every other breath of oxygen that you take comes from the ocean. Like without life in the ocean, there, there is no life on earth. So that was like a real kind of awakening for me uh, that experience but anyway when we got to the to the Maldives <clears throat> um so we had the, the family the owners of the boat coming out that Christmas and um they actually bought something like it was over a thousand Evian bottles for their family for that Christmas um Quite that a strange f- present
0: to give someone for
1: Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not, the, it's not the most straightforward present, is it? I can think of a lot of other things that I might have liked, uh, particularly having the started Ocean Bossel. I can't think of a worse present than a, the 1,200 plastic vessels. A hundred percent. It's, I don't know, yeah. I, I think um, the funny thing was also because the crew, we had a filtered water tap in the crew mess, so We'd all be drinking plastic-free water and loving it, and I think there was just that, you know, prestige and privilege associated with. Oh, we have to have Evian. We have to have. Makes logical sense that we would fly in water bottled from you know the Swiss Alps in plastic. Long story short, what happened with this was that they would have a sip of it. They would put the bottles out on deck. They would then heat up, um, and I was the one that would kind of pour out the bottled water. Into the sea, crush the plastic into these black bin bags because there's was no waste segregation, hand it over to someone that would actually collect the waste, and they would then take it off into the distance um, to an island called Tilafushi. And on this island, they literally just burned all of the plastic waste, um, and, and a lot of that would just drift off out into the ocean. So for me, it was a, a bit of an eye opening experience in terms of like excess consumption. And yeah, what's going on with, with plastic waste. Um, so yeah, it really kind of sparks the the, the inspiration behind Ocean Bottle. What were your emotions and feelings having
0: to go through that of this sort of this feeling of we don't appreciate the necessities in life because if you're just having little sips out of a bottle of water and just leaving it there to get hot, you're you're clearly not yeah, you're not appreciating the, the small things.
1: It actually links back to your podcast with Mark the other day and I'd recommend that episode to anyone listening. Um, but that insatiable greed that we all have as humans, like it's never enough, nothing is is ever enough. It's, it's our, you know, it's kind of our basic inst- instinct, right? So I think, you know, consider that that's kind of the underlying thing. And then when you add money to that mix, you can buy and you can have and you can use anything so it is it's a really dangerous combination um and it's what has really probably driven the planet and where we are to the situation we're in today where future generations are completely screwed i can't even tell you how bad of a trajectory that we're on and unless we seriously take action now um and really change change the way in which yeah, you know, what we're trying to do is kind of change capitalism really from within, like change capitalism to be a force for goods. Um, unless we can really create huge system change then the next couple of decades where we're in big trouble. Um, but I think, yeah, you, you know, to your point, it's, um, it's, um, I think it, it takes an awakening for all of us to go, actually, maybe even if I do have all the money in the world, maybe I still don't need to, you know, Consume everything, um, and I know there's one super successful founder who um, I think is the founder of Tetra Pak. He actually drives like a Renault Clio, and has given you know most of his money to charity.
0: And I think back to what you said before about the this this billionaire boat owner and the fact that he was not having anywhere near the level of enjoyment and happiness that all the, all the staff on board were having, because you can have all the money in the world. But I'm curious as to whether he had that self-reflection to see all of you having, having an amazing time and going, actually, they're working for me and I'm not having a great time at all.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, it's a generalization, right? It's, it's, that's not going to be the case for everyone. But I think assuming that becoming a billionaire is going to make you the happiest person in the world is probably your biggest mistake. Um and the goalposts will always keep shifting. Like we hit a milestone with Ocean Bostle. Um, you know, we had our first tube adverts go up in, in London for the first time. And this was something that I'd I'd always dreamt of. And I remember standing there on the platform thinking about, you know, our investor pitch the next day, some other presentation, um, you know, someone on the team that, that had an issue or Uh, the fact that our ocean plastic was stuck in customs, you know, but then also thinking about all the things that we still wanted to achieve with the company. So you're kind of, you're never at the goalposts. The goalposts just continue to keep shifting. And really the goalposts are actually right here, right now. Um, And no one put it better than someone um, on our board who basically said, look guys, if you're so lucky that, you know, one day you might sell your company that's the end of the ride that's the end of the journey you know the journey is 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 getting there um and if you don't at least try and enjoy that and and embrace the ups and the downs and and that roller coaster ride that is the way there you're you're kind of missing the point really easy to say really hard to do in practice
0: From this story I had to sit back and think, how interesting it is that your dreams can turn into a nightmare. I'm sure the magazines and books that Will read about Bolts as a kid didn't include what to do when there's a fire, but he did what he needed to do in a tricky situation, and he stepped up to the mark to protect his crew and his friends. It makes me think a lot about how people react in dangerous situations, with the amygdala firing up in our heads our bodies either go into fight, flight, or freeze response, and Will chose to literally firefight. Also that after he'd finished rescuing the crew, there was little to no fanfare for his exploits, no one there to celebrate his achievements. What happened on that day on that boat could be a script out of a Hollywood film, where at the end, he gets the girl and walks off into the sunset, but instead what he got is his mates and his crew members snoring away in their cabins, blissfully unaware of what Will had just achieved, which I feel like reflects the reality of life sometimes. It's not all Hollywood films. There are a lot more silent heroes out there than the ones that we hear about. Do we give enough recognition to the unsung heroes in our society? Will's a humble guy and I think that shows, but I hope that he understands the gravity of the fact that he saved a lot of people's lives on the ball that day. And not just that, but Will's gone on to do a lot of positive with his life, His business, Ocean Bottle, is something that's really impressed me. It's a reusable water bottle company that has saved over 10,237,000 kilograms of ocean-bound plastic from destroying our planet. I think we've all been to the beach sometimes and looked out into the sea and seen all sorts of rubbish in there and think to ourselves, this is just not right. But instead of just looking at that in horror, Will's actually gone ahead and done something about it. So maybe we should give him the fanfare that he truly deserves. You can learn more about Ocean Bottle and what Will does there at oceanbottle.co. Before you go, I need to tell you about our man test. Because as men, we can struggle to forge strong relationships often by being bad communicators. I've definitely been there. This podcast is about helping you better understand who you are as a man to become the best version of yourself. And the team and I have designed a simple quiz for you to discover more about your identity as a modern man. It takes less than three minutes to complete, and it's going to help you establish better relationships and form stronger connections. Whether that's with your partner, friends, or co-workers, the man quiz is going to help you become more trustworthy, reliable, and dependable in all your relationships, find the link to the quiz in the show notes now. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.